After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Amazing uh, selection for an Erev Shabbos done by uh, Srili Williger. From the rest of Kalbach Shabbos, that's the name of the CD. Before that, Vekas with Osevoshi and Curry Bone. You heard Yodu done by Shalshelis. Kolachai with Rachaman. I want to thank listener Gary who posted on the uh, on the app comments how great it is to uh, start the morning with a Kolachai selection. Of course, that comes from Slichus and Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this September the 30th, day 27 in the month of Elul, the year 5776. Soon to be the brand new year starting this coming Sunday night. It's our final JM in the AM for 5776. Matis will host JM Sunday on Erev Rosh Hashanah this coming Sunday. And that'll do it until we get to Wednesday morning and the Tzom Gedalia the day after Yuntav. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim with candle lighting at 619. 619, your official candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. 61 degrees outside with 78% humidity. Winds in northeast at 21 miles an hour. It's windy out there. Showers and windy weather today with a high temperature of 62. Then tonight, showers and a low of 60. Tomorrow, showers for Shabbos and a high of only 66 degrees. Yushalayim is at 78. We're at 61 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Today, the funeral of Shimon Peres. We'll have an opportunity to speak with Malcolm Honline, who was at the funeral today, as was President Obama. Um, and interestingly enough, as was Mahmoud Abbas. The president, according to the Jerusalem Post, referred to the senior Israeli statesman Shimon Peres as a friend. He showed us that justice and hope are at the heart of the Zionist idea, a free life in a homeland regained, a secure life in a nation that can defend itself by itself, Obama said. Obama thanked PA President Abbas for attending, saying that Abbas's presence is a reminder of the unfinished business of peace. The U.S. president discussed Paris's history. Uh, from an early age, Shimon saw the ways in which one group of people can dehumanize another in reference to uh, so much of his family being killed during the Holocaust. He lauded Paris for his help in building Israel's defense capabilities and his efforts to turn Israel into a central hub of the digital age. He um, ended by saying, yakar. Thank you, dear friend. Uh, said in Hebrew by the President of the United States. Uh, we'll check in with Malcolm Holmline about an hour from now. He'll uh, give us more insight into the uh, funeral and some of its political implications, if you believe there are some, and I do believe there are some, and uh, some of the things that went on during the um, ceremony today. Uh, plenty more happening. The uh, U.N. ambassador, or Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, is scheduled to join us at the top of the hour. Um, we will... Try to check in with Michael Fragan before we wrap up the show with his debate wrap-up. Always interesting to hear his take on things when it comes to politics. And uh, close things out at 9 o'clock this morning here at JM in the AM. So that is the story, and I thank you for listening in, for tuning in, wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. A wonderful brand new year for everybody. Get set to begin it. I hope it will be an inspiring unto for everybody. I thank all of you around the world who are tuned in. I thank all of you around the world who continue to uh, download and install the NSN app as our big change is coming here and will be made available as JM and the AM is the official flagship station presented by the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure if you are outside of New York, well, if you're outside of New York and New Jersey, this change will not affect you at all. Uh, but if you're in the New York, New Jersey area and you normally listen on the radio, 
Make sure you adjust uh, your uh, listening schedule so that you're able to uh, listen to us live or via archive, via the app or the website or the listen line uh, or any of the multiple platforms that uh, we are available with. All right, keep that in mind as we continue to move forward and progress here at JM in the AM. The great Chazen Yitzchak Mayor Health God is next. Wishing everybody a Shana Tova. Thank you so much for tuning in to JM in the AM. Und dann wieder mit dem Fiedale, wenn sie spielen auf Freilich, Fiedale, und dann wieder mit dem Fiedale. 
Cheems the ponytail They tell a story outwardly A mere disguise Of something pure that's Closely concealed Soon ready to be Recognized There's so much more Just beyond that image Deeper than the eye can see There's a vision of untapped potential Before you know
J.M. and the A.M. Some of the selections from the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah as we get set for the brand new year of 5777. I take this opportunity to wish everybody, all of our wonderful listeners, the incredible staff of J.M. and the A.M., all the great people that are associated with this wonderful radio show and our incredible network, a happy, healthy, and sweet new year on this Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Sunday is Erev Rosh Hashanah. Matis will be on. <clears throat> That'll happen between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday morning for an Erev Rosh Hashanah. We're back here Wednesday after the two-day hiatus for the uh, for the uh, holiday. And we wish everyone a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. It should be a great year of peace, a great year of prosperity for all. 61 degrees, showers, and windy weather today with a high temperature of 62. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Nitzavim, candle lighting is at 619, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. 
Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Galitzal in the background. News from Israel coming up. It's Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday era of Shabbos coming up next. We say Bokir Tov and Shana Tova from JM in the AM. הנשיא וראש הממשלה לשעבר שמעון פרס נתמן בחלקת גדולי האומה בער הרצל בירושלים. אל מלא רחמים. תקדל מתקדש מרבה, בעלמן דברה חירותי, וימליך מלכותי, ויצמח פוקוני, ויקרב משיחי. הלוויה באו משלחות מלמעלה משבעים מדינות ומנהיגים בכירים מהעולם, בהם נשיא ארצות הברית אובמה, הנסיך הבריטי צ'ארלס, נשיא צרפת ורבים נוספים. מנמל התעופה בן גוריון מדווח כתבנו ניתאי ענבי. נשיא ארצות הברית ברק אובמה עזב לפני דקות אחדות את ישראל כשמטוסו האייר פורס 1 המרים מנתב"ג אחרי שנחת כאן בשעות הבוקר והוא הגיע הנה ישר מירושלים מלווה בשיירה ארוכה ומובטחת יותר מ-70 מטוסים פרטיים של מנהיגים ועיתונאים נחתו כאן ביממה האחרונה ומרביתם יחזרו עד השעה עשרה בלילה סדר ההמראות אינו מפורסם מטעמי ביטחון ובשעה זו נפתחים צירי התנועה לירושלים ובתוכה אבל עדיין צפויים עומסים כתבנו אריאל זיגלר בשעה האחרונה נפתח כביש אחת לתנועה בשני הכיוונים, לאחר שרוב המשלחות הגיעו לנמל התעופה בן גוריון. עם זאת, בשעות הקרובות צפויות חסימות לסירוגין שיגרמו לעומסים בעיקר בדרך מירושלים לכיוון מערב. כלל הדרכים בתוך ירושלים נפתחו, אך גם שם מורגשים עומסים. לחיצת היד של נתניהו ואבו מאזן, ראש הממשלה והנשיא הפלסטיני נפגשו באוהל המנהיגים בהר הרצל, שנה אחרי פגישתם האחרונה ושש שנים מאז שוחחו ביחידות. בזמן לא התראינו, אמר עבאס, ונתניהו השיב, טוב לראותך כאן, תודה שבאת. נשיא ארה״ב אובמה התייחס בהספד שנשא לנוכחותו של אבו מאזן ואמר, זו תזכורת לכך שתהליך השלום בלתי גמור. העם היהודי לא נולד לשלוט על עם אחר, פרס התעקש שהפלסטינים צריכים להיות שווים ליהודים בזכויות שלהם ושגם להם צריכה להיות מדינה פלסטינית, כך אובמה שסיים את הספדו לפרס בעברית. בחיים, choose life, שמעון. תודה רבה, חבר יקר. גם בעולם עקבו אחר מסע ההלוויה ואף שידרו ממנו בשידור חי ב-NBC, CNN ו-Fox News. This is a Fox News alert. Thousands of mourners flocking to Jerusalem to pay their respects to former Israeli President and Prime Minister Shimon Peres. You're looking at live pictures from Jerusalem's Mount Herzl, where right now notable Israeli author Amos Oz is addressing dignitaries that have gathered from around the world. We're going to go to Israel right now. We've been watching the funeral of former Israeli President and Prime Minister Shimon Peres. It's underway at Mount Herzl. עוד בחדשות, למעלה מתשעת אלפים סורים נהרגו בתקיפות חיל האוויר הרוסי בשנה האחרונה, כתבתנו שירה נאות. 
ארגון סורי לזכויות אדם פרסם שבתקיפות צבא רוסיה בסוריה נהרגו 9,364 בני אדם. תקיפות צבא רוסיה שתומך במשטר אסד החלו לפני שנה בדיוק, ב-30 בספטמבר 2015. השבוע הזהיר שר החוץ של ארה״ב קרי, שאם רוסיה לא תפסיק לתקוף באזור חלב, כל שיתופי הפעולה שהושגו בין הממשל בוושינגטון והקרמלין יבוטלו. בירושלים אישה בת שלושים נכוותה בפלג גופה העליון מהתפוצצות סיר לחץ בביתה. צוות מד"א פינה אותה לבית החולים הדסה עם כרם במצב בינוני. ומזג האוויר אלה סוף השבוע, ממחר גל חום ששיאו בראש השנה. אלה החדשות שעורך ישי שנרב בצוות טסה פדואה ובן קטן. J.M. in the A.M., four minutes after 7 o'clock on this Friday morning broadcast. Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim with candlelighting at 6.19. He is the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, a great friend and wonderful spokesman. Danny, the Honorable Danny Danone is with us live via telephone on this Friday morning. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, Shana Tova, welcome back to J.M. in the A.M. Shalom, Shana Tova, Nachum. Thank you for having me again. A pleasure. It's, uh, it's interesting how the President of the United States today used the opportunity of the Paris funeral uh, to um, speak about um, politics, <laughs> to inject, <laughs> to inject uh, some political positions and uh, his desire for a certain type of Middle East into the proceedings. I, I would assume that, that your memorial, uh, that you participated and led, uh, in the United Nations for Shimon Peres was a bit different. Well, we held a very respectable ceremony yesterday at the UN with the Secretary General, the U.S. Ambassador to the UN, and many, many diplomats from many countries who came to pay respect. And each one of them had his own memory of Shimon Peres. You know, Shimon Peres traveled a lot. He was uh, almost in every country in the world, and he visited many diplomats. And we heard the beautiful stories about his initiatives, is a carriage, and I think it was very respectable. You know, when you speak about the legacy of a leader, you don't have to agree with everything, but we all agreed about the commitment of Shimon Peres to the security of the people of Israel. No, no question about that. Um, I just found it interesting, uh, some of the remarks that the president made, but no question about the, that you're right, that there's so much to remember about him in a positive vein. Um, you've had a very interesting month at the United Nations, to say the least. And I would love your evaluation of the, um, of the reception that the Prime Minister got at the UN, and in general, what you have felt about the attitude toward Israel as you participated in this gathering of all the countries, of so many countries, I should say, from around the world. Uh, we, we spoke in the past, Nahum, and I told you that in the UN... You have the private UN and the public UN. Privately, people speak about Israel positively. They even admire Israel. But publicly, unfortunately, they join the gang against Israel. But I think we're starting to see the change. And we saw it when after the prime minister's speech, when we held a gathering with African countries. And we saw more than 17 leaders from Africa coming to attend the event. First, we had a small meeting with the prime minister. But then we had a, a, an event about Israeli technology, what we can do to actually help African countries. And the fact that you saw leaders coming and, and standing together with Israel in the same place in the UN, it was remarkable. It, it showed that something new is starting at the UN. We see the progress, and 
I believe in one of my goals for the new year that we will get more countries to support us, not only privately to tell us how much they admire us, how much they want to learn from us, but also we will see them coming to our events and eventually not voting against us like they used to do for many years. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, the, 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 we always wonder about the private support that you've described or the private friendships and you know, turning that into, into public support. I felt that the Prime Minister had a, a unique and really wonderful approach when he addressed the United Nations this time around because in the past, of course, he's warned about Iran and he has brought other messages of security uh, to the UN. In this case, the headline really was that you know, there's going to be a time very soon where you're no longer booing Israel to the UN, you're going to be applauding Israel, you may as well start now. And I thought that was a really good approach that, uh, that I hope had some influence on the world leaders. You know, it's wonderful that the Prime Minister went ahead and said it, and I thought it was pretty convincing in his argument. But I wonder if, if, if we, and you specifically, really feel it can make certain leaders and countries turn around. I believe we first we have to believe it, then we can convince the others. And the, the fact that I was elected to be the first Israeli ambassador to chair a committee in the UN, the legal committee in the UN, it is a start. It is a start that we are saying we are here not only to hear your criticism, but we are here to lead, we are here to share our values, our knowledge with you. And I think the Prime Minister's direction is the right direction. And I, I can tell you that many ambassadors spoke with me after his speech. We want to do more with Israel. Uh, we want to participate in events. And I think, you know, it will not be easy at the UN. We will still have to deal with the obsession. I can assure you that, you know, uh, this coming year, we will celebrate 50 years of the unification of Jerusalem, but the Palestinians will make a, their own celebration about what they call the occupation, 50 years of the occupation. Yeah. So it will be an interesting uh, year at the UN, but still I think the approach that uh, we can do more, and we want to see the countries support Israel, not only privately, I think it can be a very interesting year for us. Uh, Ambassador of Israel to the United Nations, the Honorable Danny Danone, is with us uh, on this almost Erev Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and, and I understand it's going to be an interesting year, and I know there's a lot of work to be done this year, and we're going to be paying close attention to what's going on in the next year. But what about the next month, for instance, or the next few weeks in October and November? Uh, what initiatives from the from the PA are you expecting? What battles, what immediate battles are you expecting to be engaged in over the next few weeks in the United Nations? Well, I think we in the next few months we would see in the General Assembly dozens of resolutions against Israel. We will have to, to try to block them or to get the moral majority. I, I insist with the European and our friends around the world not to support this initiative, even though we know that sometimes we don't have the majority. I think we should focus on the moral majority. And uh, we're also hearing from the Palestinians. And we heard Abu Mazen speaking in the General Assembly yeah. that the Palestinians will try to promote a resolution at the Security Council against the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. And that is something we will have to make sure that we will not pass. We're hearing that, you know, people see that here, these elections, the Secretary General, the new one, will be elected as well. So they will try to take advantage of this uh, interim period and try to push resolutions at the Security Council against Israel. We know there are a lot of things the Prime Minister says that, that you, I mean, like anybody, that you like, and there are others that you might question. What did you think of his invitation to Abbas to come speak in the Knesset? Well, we, I hear a lot here at the UN people criticizing Israel for the lack of process of peace, of negotiations. 
And I think the Prime Minister's approach is the right approach. He says, it's not about us. If the Palestinians want to talk, I'm willing to speak with the Abu Mazen everywhere. I took to Israel 11 ambassadors in the summer. Now it was a great visit. We traveled to the south, to the north. I showed them everything. And I, we met the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister told each one of the ambassadors, I'm willing to come to your country, to your small countries, in order to meet with Abu Mazen, but he's not willing to, to meet with us. Right. And uh, I think that is the best proof that the burden is not on Israel. The Palestinians are the one who to be blamed that there is no negotiation. I've asked you this question uh, on more than one occasion, but I don't think it could be more pertinent than now because of your current situation. You're spending a lot more time in the New York area than you used to. Do you find the Jewish community, this audience, for instance, do you find the Jewish community in the New York area engaged in these issues? Are you somewhat frustrated that you go around the town, so to speak, and people are not as passionate about Israel as we maybe should be? No, on the contrary, I find it uh, very encouraging to see the support and the love for Israel. You know, it's hard to go inside the U.N. with the hostility, but uh, once you get out of the U.N., uh, being here in New York in the Jewish community, I do feel the support. When we held the, the event against BDS at the U.N., thousands of people showed up, and I think it, it's very encouraging. And I'm trying to bring this spirit of love to Israel into the U.N. So we fought about Yom Kippur. But we will have no formal meetings in Yom Kippur. Now I'm working on getting kosher food inside the UN. So actually, I'm trying to get the love of Israel and the strength of the Jewish community from New York into the UN. The UN is a different planet, and I believe we can change it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes with the traffic, we wish it was on a different planet. Frankly, uh, <laughs> Ambassador Daddy Danone, we have. Uh, I, I think you have a unique opportunity, and I think it's obvious from the way you're speaking that you know it. Uh, I think we are on the cusp of a uh, of a real revolution at the United Nations. I'm hoping. I'm hoping, as the Prime Minister said, that this is going to be a really a real turning point, and it'll be something. I'm sure you feel this way uh, if you're there to preside over it. So I wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. But I really hope and pray that these goals that you've set and this reality that we're now in, uh, in fact, uh, you know, continues to come to fruition, and you're able to to make a real difference, a real change in the United Nations. Thank you, Nahu, and I want to wish you uh, and everybody who is listening to us, Shana Tova, healthy you for the people of Israel. And if we believe and we are strong, we can convince others. This is what I learned in the last year. And I think this year we should believe, we should be strong, and we'll be able to convince the others. Bezrat Hashem. Shana Tova and Tudara to you. Shana Tova. Bye-bye. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM, the United Nations Ambassador from Israel. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Danny Danone, here at JM in the AM, and who knows what the new year will bring. But let us hope that the uh, the hopefulness that we that some of us now feel, uh, in fact, will come to fruition over the next few months and during the next year. JM in the AM, as we get closer and closer to the brand new year of five seven 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 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim, candle lighting is six nineteen in the New Jersey New York area, six nineteen on this era of Shabbos. Malcolm Honline live from Jerusalem coming up about 25 minutes from now. We'll speak about the uh, funeral of Shimon Peres. He was there. We will speak about that coming up. Rabbi Yudin, of course, will address us, his final address for the year 5776, and plenty more between now and 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, it's Naomi Nachman and the Table for Two program. Hope you'll be tuned in. 
at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. And then, of course, our Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix. It will be a spectacular one, I guarantee you, as uh, plenty of great Erev Shabbos and Erev Yom Tov music will be presented, and we thank our friends at Kedem. Happy birthday to Zaki and Shui Abraham. Their Hebrew birthdays are being celebrated. Happy birthdays to you from all of us here at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. Amazing selection from Yaakov Shweki. On this Erev Shabbos, final Erev Shabbos of the year, Yismach Moshe from Leviathan before that, 27 minutes after 7 o'clock. Good morning, candle lighting, 619. My thanks to UN Ambassador Danone for joining us. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem. We're about 15 minutes away from checking in with him and finding out what's happening over there in the Holy City. Weekly update coming up. Make sure to be tuned in. We are looking at our uh, app comments on the NSN app, so you could uh, ask a question or make a statement and let us know what's happening. Um, Shana Tova to all. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to everybody. Matis will be hosting JM Sunday. It is coming Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. You could catch that on our stream at jmdm.org and the NSN app. Uh, Monday and Tuesday is Rosh Hashanah. We're back here Wednesday morning on the fast day on Som Gedalia Wednesday. We are here between 6 and 9 a.m. Make sure to join us. Showers and windy weather with a high temperature of 62, 61 outside right now. We'll do our final uh, Elul Shofar blowing. We don't blow Shofar tomorrow. It's Shabbos. We don't blow Shofar Sunday. It's Erev Rosh Hashanah. Next time Shofar will be heard will be Monday, the uh, mandated Shofar blowing. Uh uh, this coming Monday uh, during Rosh Hashanah services. So we'll do our final L chauffeur blowing and then proceed with a uh, great uh, selection for the high holidays here at JM in the AM.
a.m. in the a.m. That's Simcha Liner. Before that, uh, the Rosh Hashanah medley from Jewish Holiday Favorites. Getting ready for the brand new year. Our final Friday broadcast for 5776. Matis is on Sunday morning beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. That'll be an Erev Rosh Hashanah show. We're back Wednesday, of course, here at JMNAM. Candlelighting at 619 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim. 619, our thanks to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Wish them a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. Thousands of articles for you to download and read and uh, explore. Uh, they do that all through the year, and we thank them. And a uh, big shout-out to our friends at onlysimplis.com. Continue to use our material here as part of their news feed for uh, important, inspirational, and in many ways, uh, um, very positive stories about what's happening in the Jewish world. Check out OnlySimchas.com and their news feed. You'll be glad you did. Uh, Rabbi Yudin is coming up. It will be his um, uh, final ad- address of the year, of course, and he'll do some pre-Rosh Hashanah material for us. We'll get to it as soon as possible after our weekly update here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us on a Friday morning from Yerushalayim here at JM in the, JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. As always, good to be with you, and especially from Yerushalayim, which is beautiful today. Sunny, warm. Anybody who's not here for Rosh Hashanah making a mistake. <laughs> not too late to come later. It begs. It begs. It begs the question where you're going to be for Rosh Hashanah, but I won't put you on the spot. Uh, so uh, today, of course, the funeral of Shimon Peres uh, seemed like it was a pretty lengthy lineup of speakers. Uh, not quite sure who decided that the program should close with the President of the United States. Found that interesting. Maybe it's protocol. I'm sure you could explain that to us. Uh, give us first, uh, I have some specific questions, but give us first an overview of being there in the crowd and saying goodbye to a, a very important figure in the history of the State of Israel. Right. And I know it's somewhat controversial. Uh, he is somewhat controversial with people who did or did not like some of his activities, but nobody can deny the pivotal central role that he played in the establishment of the state, in establishing the IDF, the Navy, the MONA, the nuclear program, so much of of what enabled Israel to be what it is today from a security standpoint, from an economic standpoint as a minister, of developing the uh, startup nation concept, uh, fostering it, uh, and in, in Israel's international diplomacy. He, I had seen I went to the hospital last week, uh, when I was in Israel for a few hours, and uh, it was clear that his, his situation was very critical. And I've had a working relationship with him of over 30 years, or maybe even 40. And I will tell you that there were many instances that if people knew uh, what, what Shimon said and did, it would give them a different impression. You know, he was truly a, a nationalist. He cared about Israel. He was a, a Zionist through and through. He was Ben Gurion's uh, assistant. He held virtually every position in government twice a a prime minister president um and the fact that 60 leaders from around the world 60 countries that president olan and the king of spain and uh, president obama president clinton many others came on very short notice to to be there today to pay tribute to him at the lasting tribute the final tribute and 
uh, I think is uh, a remarkable statement. It's a yeah. statement about him and also about Israel. It does transfer in that regard yeah, no to uh, the feelings about Israel and the way I can think of many other world leaders of much bigger countries who died and did not receive the kind of uh, send-off, the kind of of Levaya that we saw today. Yeah, and, and and I know I've been waxing philosophic over the last couple of weeks, especially since his stroke, and we've had the opportunity to speak about the early days, so to speak. Um, but um, but I I have to acknowledge the fact that uh, that he he represented such a unique aspect of modern Jewish history, modern Israeli history, and I I say to you something similar to what I said last week and the week before. If you would have told our grandparents that there will be a time very, very soon, certainly in a historical sense, really, really soon, where tens and almost, you know, a hundred, uh, you said 60, uh, world leaders would come to Israel to pay tribute to a leader of the state of Israel, they would never have believed it. And and that alone, I think, especially now, now is a good time to wax philosophic. The new year's about to begin. Uh, I, I I think that that is one of the most important lessons from today's events. I think you're you're right, and uh, and the fact that the president of the United States comes for five hours to a country uh, is also a statement about relationship. And people will, of course, describe. Um, political motives to, to what everybody does, but there are times when things are, are above that, and and it does reflect, I think, on the nature of the relationship, the, the special status that uh, Sean Paris has enjoyed or earned um, is somewhat unique, but I think it, it has a much broader meaning, and the yeah. message to the world, especially here in the Arab world, is very important that yeah. about the uniqueness, the, the credibility, the status of Israel. Yeah. Malcolm Holmline is with us live from Jerusalem, having just gotten back uh, from the uh, funeral of Shimon Peres. Um, you know, we, we often refer and speak about, um, you know, changes that especially Israeli leaders make in their attitude towards certain things. We'll say attitude toward peace, although that's such a bad way of putting it, but, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, I think everyone will get the context. And we talk about the younger Begin, you know, versus the later in years or older Begin, and the younger Sharon certainly versus the, the older Sharon, and to an extent the younger Rabin, the older Rabin. Is there, and, and you had this relationship with him, and I remember some, some really trying times in your relationship with him uh, in the, I would say, in the early 90s. Um, would you say there was that marked difference that that he, as a young politician and active member of the Israeli political scene, was different than what the older Paris became? It's a very interesting question. It probably deserves a, a panel discussion, not a, a simple answer. But you know, the young Paris w- was considered a hawk in many respects, or would have been by today's standards, in that. You know, he focused on, on building Israel's military capacity to, to, to defend itself. Remember, it came from zero. Uh, and there are interesting things, by the way, to know that, that his name was Persky, and they say that he was a great-great-grandson of, of Rav Chaim Volozhner, but his, his grandfather was certainly a, a very religious and pious person. And 
you know, he reflected that cultural upbringing and association with it and always showed respect for uh, Ramadan in his, uh, during his lifetime. Um, but so in the early years, he was, you know, devoted to building the military capacity of, of Israel. Later on, he tried to build the, the peace capacity because he really believed that that was essential for Israel's long-term stability and place in, in the community in the, in the Middle East. Uh, whether people like Oslo and don't like Oslo, there's plenty of case to be made uh, for the debate. But you know, his motivation was clear. He, um, you know, he 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 up to the last days was a visionary in, in many respects. I mean, he pushed the nanotechnology agenda early on when none of us knew what it even was talking about. Um, or more recently about brain research as being at the forefront of technology and that Israel must be engaged in it, just as he pushed you know, some of the high-tech uh, endeavors early on. So he did go through various stages, and people mellow with age, and sometimes they become more tough, and sometimes they become less tough right. in some of the positions they take. I don't know that you can point to to a shifting period because you remember in the eighties he, he did the Oslo the London Accords, which were frankly uh, much better than people appreciated. And I he, he invited me to his room once in, in New York to read the actual document, and he said to me then, this is nineteen eighty two or eighty three, he said just understand they can reject this deal, Israel can reject it, that every subsequent deal is going to be worse than the one before. Oh, and. And sure enough, so, and then, every and, subsequent deal, yeah. Israel has to give more and get less. Yeah, start with Madrid, right? Just a few years after that, right? And all the offers of the Barack Agreement, the right. offer the Olmert's um, offer, others, each one was far more generous than what. You would have had to give up in 1982 if the if that agreement had gone through. What did you think of the decision by Mahmoud Abbas to attend the funeral? And was it at the urging that he needs some prodding from world leaders to actually make the move to come to the funeral? Well, it was very well received here. Uh, only the president, only President Obama mentioned him, uh, which was uh, somewhat surprising, but... Again, they couldn't start mentioning all the world leaders. But for him, it was, uh, I think, it, people were commenting on the fact that, that, that neither Netanyahu or others mentioned him, uh, especially because, you know, the Israeli Arabs in the Knesset boycotted the, the session, blaming Perez for the Nakba for the, for 1948 and his role then and since then in Israel's defense and, and standing against the building up Israel's armies against the Arab onslaughts that took place in those years. So they, they, they boycotted it, and yet Abbas came. I have no doubt that there was American prodding and others perhaps who encouraged him to go and said it would be the right thing. Uh, but he, and, I, and I think he insisted on an invitation from the family not to be coming as a guest of the government. Uh, but people were really not there as guests of the government. They were there, everybody was there in their own capacity. And... Uh, Abbas did not speak, obviously. He, he just came and, and then left. So his presence, you know, is seen as, as significant given all of the factors around it and the, the, the criticisms that, that we see pretty widespread. 
uh, among some of the Arab populations. I watched the video of his encounter with the Netanyahu's uh, multiple times early this morning, and I thought they, frankly, I thought both handled it pretty well. Yes, I think it was done very smoothly, the operation of the whole thing, and, you know, considering that they had such short notice and you had so many delegations and planes flying in and cars flying in and everybody wants to be treated special. I sat down and, and the guy next to me was uh, a foreign minister of a country. The guy behind me was uh, the president of the Senate of a very big country. The person in front of us was a uh, president of, a, of an African country. And they were sitting on the buses with us because, you know, security requirements were very tight and how people got around. But Thank God we got in and got, got through everything. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, it was not an easy thing to do, and I think that they basically pulled it off well. I think most of the speeches were sensitive and, and meaningful. Uh, some raised issues that were troubling. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jamnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. And don't forget, in just a few weeks we will be uh, available to you exclusively through the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure you have the NSN app or one of the other hundreds of methods to tune in to us on a daily basis. Uh, anybody outside of the New York and New Jersey area listening right now, it will completely unaffect you. It will be a seamless transition. We're just trying to make it as seamless as possible for everyone. On the topic of bringing things up that uh, you know could be taken to be political positions, uh, I mean, the President of the United States did use the opportunity to, quote-unquote, encourage peace talks, spoke about unfinished business uh, that Shimon Peres left here, and obviously with Abbas there, the you know the words had more strength to them. What did you think of the injection of that type of political position into the eulogy? Um, I frankly have to read it more carefully because it was hard always to at all times to hear it, but um, I think that, that raising it is one thing, but he, he, he mentioned it more than once. He raised it several times, and I don't know whether this is an indication of a future agenda, or this is just it's expressing his uh, point of view, or, or you know, genuinely interpreting Paris's uh, priorities, uh, and in the presence of Abbas. But it seemed that that he he um, that the speech was somewhat political at an occasion that was not meant to be. Yeah. Uh, were, were there other, I mean, you, you, you obviously, you know, you heard all the speeches. I, I frankly, you know, uh, I was up early enough to watch the Obama speech, did not see the others. Um, I mean, what could you tell us in general about, uh, uh, about the presentations? And, and especially, I'm not, I'm not speaking about family members and even necessarily, um, uh, those from Israel, but were there other world leaders included? Were there other, uh, other people who you might not expect? to have been in the lineup that spoke at today's funeral? There were none in the lineup. The, the only ones who spoke were President Clinton, President Obama, Netanyahu, President Rivlin of Israel, the Speaker of the Knesset. That That is a protocol issue that the Speaker of Knesset uh, addresses. And um, and then the, the, his three children spoke, and Amos Oz, the author and writer, who was a very close friend of his. But they were the only ones who were allowed to speak, and you had many heads of state there who were repeatedly acknowledged 
more in general than by specific name even. So, no, there was uh, almost no recognition of the of most of the dignitaries who were there. And aside from Abbas, uh, you mentioned 60 in, in terms of number, but there must have been, you know, one or two that really surprised you. I mean, I, d I don't know if, you know, representations or representatives, I should say, from places like Turkey or Russia or you know, other Middle Eastern countries. I know that Jordan and Egypt were not represented, right? Some conjecture that they would be. There's a peace agreement with Israel. Some thought that they might well, be. I, did, did I met with the foreign minister of Egypt. I met with the foreign minister of Egypt. He was definitely there. Uh, there was a minister from Jordan there. It was not the king, which is what people expected. Right. I don't think that they really thought that Sisi would, would come, but uh, I, I spoke to the foreign minister, so I know for sure he was there, along with another minister. And um, I thought it was uh, interesting that Prince Charles came and the King of Spain and uh, a few others who, who a lot of presidents from uh, countries in, in Europe uh, and um, uh, there was a delegation from Mor the Moroccan Jewish community. All right, let me wrap up this segment of the conversation with the following and just, you know, Bear with me. Why is the president of Mexico there? I mean, what, 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 what is it that would bring him to a uh, ceremony, you know, honoring the the memory of uh, of the former prime minister and president of Israel? I, I could tell Jim and say he wanted to see how you build a wall. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he. Um, <laughs> the relationship with—they'll get it later. Yeah, they got The relationship it. with Mexico and Israel has been growing stronger, and many leaders felt that this was a place they wanted to be and to, to join it. And the, you know, again, of course, it was on such short notice. The fact that every any one of them was there was to me a remarkable statement. Sixty or seventy private jets of, of world leaders flew in in a twenty-four hour period less than 24 hours. Uh, President Obama arrived at 5.30 or so in the morning and left immediately after the, the ceremony. So he was here for five, six, seven hours altogether. Um, uh, Trudeau, others were, were, I didn't see him, but I, I understand that he was supposed to be there. Um, and again, the, the, the reports about who was there and wasn't there haven't been clarified sufficiently. I think people should wait until they see the actual published list. Right, got it. Um, all right, a couple other things. The uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu went out of his way this week uh, to discuss that his cooperation or seeming cooperation with Russia is uh, in no way any type of knock or, uh, or snubbing of the United States, and the value of the U.S.-Israel relationship is one that we always speak about practically on a weekly basis here. Uh, did he have to go out of his way to uh, to give a heads-up to the U.S. that they shouldn't worry about him uh, associating more and more with Putin at this time? And I think it's because of the press speculation and because people were uh, interpreting it. And, and the fact is that the U.S.-Israel relationship is the core relationship of Israel's security. And I think, you know, it's a message to the region, a message uh, to, to the U.S. Congress that uh, is not a question of substituting one for another. Israel should have relations with as many countries as possible, should those be powerful countries. Uh, there are many important links, including a million Russian Jews in Israel, that uh, bind the countries. So the relationship with Russia is very important, especially Russia's role in Syria. But I think his message was, don't misinterpret this as, as being an end run or meant to be an insult to the 
president uh, that we enhance our relationship with Russia. And the prime minister has gone out of his way after his visit to the United Nations last week. He spent part of the weekend uh, visiting with both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. He's gone out of his way to uh, emphasize, no matter who wins this election in early November, Israel will have a friend in the White House. Uh, Did you think it was simply... Uh, silly on the part of uh, members of the press that they made a big deal about the fact that his meeting with Trump was much longer than his meeting with Hillary in general. Can you tell us anything? I'm sure you've spoken to him since then. Can you tell us anything about his impressions of the two candidates? I think that uh, what I heard is that the um, environment was very positive. The exchanges were amicable. They they did discuss issues. Uh, They uh, do not get into the politics uh, of this election. It's something Israel stays out of. Um, I think it, it's an indication that uh, of the relevance of Israel in the political decision-making in America, that there are many millions of Jews and many more non-Jews who care about what the policy with Israel will be. In this way, uh, by meeting both, he shows that uh, there will be continuity in the relationship that he's already met both parties and uh, and and develop ties and the relationship very quickly after after the election. Uh, was it, uh, I don't know, surprising to you, or did you expect that his name would be mentioned by Donald Trump in the debate? It was the, the only time Israel really came up was when Trump went ahead and proclaimed that uh, the prime minister would not be a happy camper regarding the Iran deal. I think that the, that in future debates there will be greater emphasis on foreign policy issues. That's what I've been told. That this one was primarily dealing with domestic affairs and, as you said, very little on foreign affairs. So I anticipate that uh, you'll see more of a discussion uh, about it. Why is Ahmadinejad being encouraged not to run again for president of Iran? He's not being encouraged. He's been banned. <laughs> He's eliminated from uh, uh, from the race. Uh, because the, uh, the Ayatollah said so, which is enough of a reason. And the, um, there were differences before at the end of his term, which is one of the reasons why he sort of disappeared. What's interesting in, in Iran also is the speculation about a successor to the Supreme Leader, and his word that the Iran Revolutionary Guard, the IRGC, and others gotten behind Ibrahim Raisi, uh, who is a very hard-line Iranian who oversaw the massacre of thousands of people, supposedly political prisoners, in the summer of '88, and he was given the responsibility to um, uh, as a, to be a prosecutor general for most of his career. He's 56 years old, I think, and he used to discipline the mullahs who got out of line. And one of his responsibilities was to oversee a large charitable foundation which has an estimated $15 billion in it. So uh, as uh, uh, we will see whether there will be other candidates who will emerge, but this is a, a very interesting development when people are saying, you know, what will happen if, if in fact, Khamenei uh, is so sick? Will it be a succession process? Will they pick somebody beforehand? Well, I think we may see the picking right now. And if that picking comes through, it will be, so he's regarded as more radical, less radical, or just the same? I think he's being seen as more hardline, uh, and he, the very fact that he's backed by the Iran Revolutionary Guard would give credence to that. 
and he is, uh, his history would certainly underscore it. So Iran is not moving towards any kind of moderation, and all the promises, you know, that after the JCPOA and after the deal, we're going to see much more moderation on that part. So far, that's not in evidence. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the big question, and you know, because if you pay careful, if you pay attention to. I don't know if I could say the majority of the media, but uh, th- there's so much rhetoric out there about the success of the Iran deal. And, you know, you're one who I would assume, you know, uh, until now continues to be hardline uh, against considering the Iran deal a success at this point. Well, it hasn't proven to be a success, and now there are reports of even more money being transferred, very large uh, sums of money. And uh, people believe that the, the agreement emboldened Iran to take even stronger stands uh, against uh, its neighbors. We're seeing the escalation of the tension with Saudi Arabia and with others uh, in Yemen. And and I think that the JCPOA, according to all the information we're getting, has not benefited the people. The economic conditions of the people remains terrible, but it does enhance the the ability of the uh, Iran Revolutionary Guard the Ayatollah and his household and the people who follow him to to continue their uh, aggressive behavior, their incitement of terror, their support for Hamas, so certainly for Hezbollah. We've seen more shooting across the uh, Golan Heights. It's still not, we don't believe, we think it's errant fire, but it's not an unintended completely. It's, it's much more than that. And so it's very hard to prove beyond what is recognize as the success that part of the, the dismantling, but if they are in fact able to make much more advanced centrifuges, if they're able to put them in place and therefore will speed up the process nine more years or so, it's gone in a blink, and Iran will be able to break out as a full-fledged nuclear program. Uh, ben Hubbard writes it in the New York Times, and I need you to tell us if you think it's true or not and why. Uh, Many Saudis see the passage of the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act overriding President Obama's veto as irreparable damage to a long relationship. What do you think? Could you say that again? I didn't miss the last part. Saudis see the passage of Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act overriding President Obama's veto as irreparable damage to a long relationship. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the, the thing, the reference. Yes, the, the JASTA legislation, which enables the families, the 9-11 families, to sue uh, Saudi Arabia. The president vetoed it, the Congress overrode the veto, I think it's the first time. Right. And uh, the Saudis reacted, as one would expect, harshly. There are no law cases yet brought, but the concern that uh, they, that the president and supporters raise is that other countries will then sue the United States, and then and maybe Israel, others will be deemed to be uh, responsible for the acts and, and therefore could uh, open a Pandora's box. Here we're saying, look, the, the, the families that have suffered so much, they should have a right to go to court and let the courts decide whether they're entitled to some sort of uh, compensation. Even Senator Schumer and others were um, uh, very much in favor of the override and, and took uh, leadership roles in that. So... The Saudi reaction is is one of uh, upset about the passage, and and the I mean of the veto, but it's not going to change the fundamental relationship. Saudi Arabia needs America too much, especially now against Iran. 
So I do not anticipate that this will make for a fundamental change in that relationship. Um, there's a um, uh, the perception, of course, is that there's a responsibility on the part of Saudi Arabia when it comes to 9/11. Uh, has I mean Saudi Arabia has never acknowledged anything even close to that, correct? They have never, in all these fifteen years, they have never uh, said anything or indicated anything that would that would uh, that would deem them uh, responsible for any of it. Right, and you know, powerful countries get away with a lot of things, and when there are all sorts of other competing interests, we see now the revelations about Russia's role with the. The downing of the plane over the Ukraine, or, or uh, I've seen all sorts of other accusations of late, and you know there, there's very little accountability for for it here. So there's two parts. Of it. One is the embarrassment, the message to the international community, the assertion of blame, which comes with it, uh, and then there is, of course, the economic impact and the precedent that are set, precedent that may be set by the action. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you, you have expressed publicly which way you think this, this should have gone, or you expected that the White House and Congress would not be aligned on this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a read on on whether you think this is a good thing no, or knew- or not to to bring Saudi Arabia to its knees in this way. Well, we're not going to. It's not going to bring it to its knees. And Saudi Arabia has a lot of money, but uh, and and again, there are no cases. Right. So. It, it is a, a sensitive and complex question about uh, you know whether this is ultimately good or bad if if it opens up all sorts of other cases against the U.S. and, and some of our allies. But the message is a very important one about culpability that countries have responsibility to to take the steps to to prevent such actions to the degree that they can, and when it's such an organized effort. Uh, again, there's no proof of culpability yet, and we don't know that the courts will award anything because of this. Uh, and I understand fully the sensitivity to it, but when Congress votes as they are to override a presidential veto, which they've never done before, that means that there is very strong sentiment on the other side. Yeah, no question about that. All right, the uh, year is coming to a close. Our final discussion for 5776. I spoke earlier today on the air with... Uh, Ambassador Danone at the uh, United Nations, and uh, he indicated that he thinks the year ahead could be a very, very big turning point there. You've indicated, and based on the Prime Minister's words at the UN during his visit, uh, we discussed last week how this, uh, how, how, how we, we might be facing finally some type of real, uh, turnaround or the beginnings of a turnaround at places like the UN. It is interesting and unbelievable to watch Israel standing right now in the international community, something that the Prime Minister pointed out multiple times during that speech. It continues to amaze us. Less than 70 years later, you and I continue to make this point over the last few weeks. It is unbelievable to see the point that Israel has gotten to. Uh, What can you tell us about 5777? Could this, in fact, be a revolutionary year in terms of Israel's relationship in the the, uh, landscape of... um, of uh, uh, of countries uh, on this planet, uh, or is every year like that? Every year is so significant with so many episodes and so much going on that something is bound to happen that we would consider historic in the coming year. The answer is yes. <laughs> you, know, you used the phrase "could be." I was going to answer "could be," and it could be. 
it could go anyway. Right now, I think to be optimistic about the UN is still premature. We are working very hard to get the UNESCO resolution rescinded. I think that's a critical test for us. And we have started the drive to end the bias against Israel, the, the, the state of resolutions, and we're finding more and more countries that are being sympathetic. We even got a commitment from some foreign ministers that they would support repeal of the UNESCO actions, which, you know, strips the holy places of their Jewish names and, and history and Judeo-Christian names. So to expect a revolutionary change in the UN is, I think, a misreading. The fact that Israel was elected to the chair of the Sixth Committee, the fact that the, Israel is running for a, a Security Council seat in 2018, but they have very tough competition, um, these are, are positive signs. But at the same time, we see the ongoing record, the condemnations, the, the resolutions and statements the deploring Israel, and the need for there to be really fundamental reform at the United Nations if it's going to be remain uh, relevant. I think that, that Israel's isolation certainly has um, been broken in many respects. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's accepted in the neighborhood, but in the world as a whole, with the increased relationships in China, India, Japan, uh, certainly with Africa reaching out, and we had in the last uh, weeks uh, so many meetings with African leaders who, who want ties with Israel, many are visiting Israel. Uh, and talking about establishing diplomatic re relations. So on that front, on the side of Israel's isolation and the growing uh, Mediterranean initiative and other initiatives, I, I think it could bode well. And again, there's no existential threat to Israel coming from, you know, Syria as it was in the past, or Egypt today, which has uh, been more than neutralized. It's very uh, positive and pro-Israel in terms of military and security areas, for sure. So I think that the coming year, we're going to see the maturation of some of the issues we're dealing with, like uh, BDS. I'm afraid that we're going to see an escalation of violence on the campus because they get frustrated by their failures and, and the fact that it's not catching on the way they wanted. I think you'll see an expansion of those activities. I'm very concerned about domestic terrorism, not just the lone wolves, but the returning ISIS fighters to Europe, to the United States, and around the world. Uh, uh, so there are a whole range of security issues that I think uh, we have to uh, be concerned about. Uh, a lot will depend on how the economy goes. We're going to see continued turmoil. Syria is not going to be resolved. We're going to see the Sunni Shiite, i.e. Saudi Arabia versus Iran battle, I think, continue to simmer. Nobody wants it to break out full-scale war, it seems, but anything can trigger some sort of reaction, including the, the errant fire across the Golan, which Israel responds to uh, uh, regularly. And I think that, that we have a very full agenda uh, awaiting us. It's not going to be a simple year. I, I think with the election and then the transition, we're going to take up a good part of the energy uh, of the in Washington. And what we have to do is make sure people stay focused on the issues and that we not find ourselves further disadvantaged because, you know, we weren't paying attention. Yeah. But again, I think if people look and they want a source of real encouragement, do you see the discovery about at Lachish, at Lachish Gate? Again, we see King, King uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiahu's reform, which the which Tanakh teaches us about, and his efforts to centralize the worship, and that it says that he went to there and he broke the um, 
symbols, including the, the horns that he broke off and they put a toilet there. Well, they found it exactly as it's in the, uh, they, the, where they had placed the toilet. It was not used as a toilet, per se, according to the DNA test. But it's everything that that the uh, uh, Tanakh tells us, and it says that the... Uh, uh, and that this is evidence of the reform when he wanted everything centralized in Yerushalayim. But if you look at Malachim Beis at uh, Kings 2, you will see the descriptions and exactly what they found. So again, Kadesh Baruch God is sending us all these signs, and the rest of the, so much of the world is fighting to cut us off and to deny a past and not to recognize and not give legitimacy. Both the funeral today shows Israel standing in the legitimacy uh, from Africa, from South America, from all over the world they came, and the recovery of our past to guide us in, in, in the future. And I hope that people understand that how we view ourselves and our own cloud and our ability, when the Miraglim, in the story of, of, the, of the Ten Spies, when they said that we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, they were ascribing a view to the Anakim, to the, to the giants. The Giants didn't say it. It's the Jews, and when they see themselves like that, then of course our oppressors are going to see us uh, in that same vein. So people have to understand that this is a responsibility this year to know, to vote, to get out, to vote. Congressional votes count very much as well. There are a lot of state legislative uh, races. More than that, to make a commitment this year that we're going to do more in our schools, we're going to educate our kids younger and younger, we're going to take the time, to, to talk to them about what is going on so that they not become teenagers and harbor a lot of hostile feelings because nobody ever bothered to tell them the truth. Yeah. And that is our strongest weapon. Excellent. A happy, healthy, sweet new year. We should have a year that we go from strength to strength. Best to your entire family, and we will reconvene, please God, next Friday morning here at JM in the AM. God willing, we look forward to it and to a very successful year and in your new format to have great Hatzlacha. We need you very much. Amen. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Malcolm Holmline, fittingly enough, wrapping up the year for us from Jerusalem, from the Holy City. He is the Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. This time each and every Friday, every hour of Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, Spiritual Leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Nitzavim. Parshas Nitzavim is always read, as we'll see in a moment, before Rosh Hashanah. It is, as we mentioned last week, a continuation of Tichle Shana Vekillo Seho. We conclude the year and all of the um, klolos, all of the challenges that could be facing us in this year. And we look forward to Tichle and Tochel Shana Ubircho Seho. May the new year bring its blessing. I want to start by sharing with you a very interesting idea found in the Sefer Darche Musar by Rav Yaakov Naiman Satsal, who notes from the altar of Kelm that the inciting the Zohar, the parsha begins, Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. Literally, you are all standing here today. 
the literal context is Moshe is continuing his speech prior to taking leave of the Jewish people. And he's saying to the Jewish people, you're all together, and God is entering into a covenant with you. And the essence of this covenant will go into effect as soon as you cross over the Jordan. And that is the covenant of arvus, of responsibility one for another. Not just for yourself, but all one unit. Comes along the uh, Zohar, and the Zohar says that the first puzzle, you're all standing here today this has a message throughout Jewish history not by chance we always read this parsha before Rosh Hashanah and therefore the verse is referring to Rosh Hashanah where the entire Jewish world is standing before God in judgment and he cites the tour and the tour brings down the following very interesting idea. Take a look, says Reb Hanina and Reb Yoshua, how unique the Jewish people are. Namely, that the custom of man is that if he is on trial, he wears black, and he's not concerned if he's taken a haircut, nor is he properly groomed. He doesn't know what's going to be his fate. But the Jewish people, no. We bathe before Rosh Hashanah, and we wear Levanim, white clothing, and we prepare ourselves by eating and drinking on Rosh Hashanah. There's a sense of optimism, because we know that God is going to literally, Yaseh Lohem Nes, that there's going to be, come on, a miracle. Now wait a second. We know that in the Nisan Tokef prayer recited on Rosh Hashanah, it is very serious. And it's for this reason that we don't say Hallel on Rosh Hashanah. But this is Mi Yechyeh which means literally who shall live and who shall die. This is serious stuff. Where is there room for optimism on Rosh Hashanah? And the answer, says the altar, Mikem, is in the word Kulchem. Kulchem means you all, the Jewish people, as a unit. Each and every individual is to be concerned about his or her personal fate as to what's going to be the fate of ourselves on Rosh Hashanah and what will be the forthcoming year for us individually. However, as a people, oh my goodness, Am Yisrael Chai. Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishoker. There always will be a Jewish people. The Nevi'im, the prophets, promised us this. Well, once there is this prophet, promise of the prophets, then I know one thing. If the Jewish people are going to survive, your best chance for survival is connect yourself to the people, connect yourself to the community, become a Jew that the community needs you. Whatever your talents are, 
incorporate them with and for the community. You're an accountant, volunteer for your synagogue, for your local shul, for the mikvah, to help them out in doing their books, and you're not going to charge them for it. And therefore, whatever you do, you're a teacher, so not only are you teaching children, but guess what you do on the spare time? You tutor, and you do it very often for gratis, because you're there to be help and to help the community, and take a look each person in their own way by being part of the community that is your insurance policy that please God you'll have a better judgment on Rosh Hashanah I'd like to take this opportunity to review some of the basic laws of Rosh Hashanah and customs and let's go in order and therefore on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we come home and we recite the Kiddush as found in the Magzor, Sidurim, etc. And listen carefully, we wash our hands as we would on any and every Shabbos and Yom Tov meal. We make the Hamotzi. Many have the custom of dipping the challah from the Hamotzi into honey. Now watch. Then comes a universal, pretty much universal custom of dipping the apple in the honey. And before we recite the Hirotzon, we make a bracha of Borei Pri Ho'etz. Now this is an exception to the rule. Namely, every Friday night when we first wash our hands, come to the table and make hamotzi, after that we don't recite any brachos until perhaps dessert, depending upon what that is, etc. Now, when it comes here, if you were to have any time in the Yom Tov meal to begin a fruit cup, you would not make a Bori Priyo Eitz. Why are we making the Bori Priyo Eitz here? And the answer is because we're eating this apple as a ceremonial food. When we wish and we say that God should grant us and renew us a good year and a sweet year, we are basically doing two things. We're saying that if the judgment is going to be offered to us, let it be a sweet one. Like, for example, if it's decreed that the Jewish people are to go into exile, let that be fulfilled by our going into the sukkah, whereby we are being exiled from our home into the sukkah. In addition, our rabbis tell us that the apple reminds us of Gan Eden, as Rashi cites in Parshas Toldos, when Yitzchak Avinu comments on the clothing of Esau that Yaakov is wearing, and Re'ach B'ni, Kareach HaSodeh, Shebercho Hashem, note the scent of this clothes, and Rashi says, like the scent of Gan Eden, which smells of the apples. So we're being told, my friends, that not only are we, the living, being judged, but the deceased are judged as well. Now how can that be? It means that if we do good and we act in a good way, then we bring honor to our parents, grandparents, and teachers who taught us. And the opposite is also true. Then there are various customs which fall into the category of Simna Milsa. 
This comes from the Gemara in Horios 12a, whereby Abaye taught that Simna Milsa, that taking a object and reciting a prayer in conjunction with this object, the Chaye Adam in Simon Kuf Lamites 139, paragraph 6, notes this, the Maharal speaks about this, the Ramban calls it a prayer with a poel dimyon, which means as follows, that if there is an object associated with the prayer, it's a deeper form of prayer. So it's not the apple as much as the hirotzon, the prayer that accompanies it, that says that it should please be a shonatova, a good year, and a sweet year. Now, certainly one does not have to eat carrots, cabbage, beets, dates, pomegranates, fish, and have either or the head of a fish or the head of sheep on the table. But if you have the carrots, so therefore what accompanies the carrots is the Hiratzon. God, may it be your will, Sheikarsu. Listen carefully. When it comes to cabbage, Sheikarsu. Son Enu. That our enemies should be cut down. If you have carrots, Sheyirbu Zuchuyosenu. That our merits should increase. If you eat beets, Sheyistalku Oyevenu. Again, I'm not telling you to go out and buy these things. Have at least one or two of them, as found in many of the Machzorim. And again, it's the symbol and the prayer that goes with it, which is significant. Moving on. Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Tov, but we do not say Hallel on this Yom Tov because it is a Yom Hadin, a day of judgment, as we say both in the Shacharis as well as in our Musaf prayers. Let's understand, the primary mitzvah or the unique mitzvah for Rosh Hashanah is that of the shofar. The Torah tells us simply to blow. The rabbis tell us that it is with a shofar. The Torah doesn't tell us why. The Rambam tells us in Ilchos Tshuva that the purpose of the shofar is a wake-up call. Namely, it's to remind us to put things in the proper perspective. Now let's understand. The very fact that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, the Sefer Achinoch in Mitzvah 311 says something fantastic. He says, Nimtza, you should understand, Shehayom HaNichbad Hazeh, this very special day, this is a day that ensures the continuation of the world. What does that mean in simple English? It means as follows. He says it's a kindness on the part of Hashem that He lets us know that there's a day of judgment annually. And therefore our sins cannot accumulate. Could you imagine if it was every 10 years, 20 years or more? God forbid there be so many sins, it would be just too much to undo. This way, annually, you stop, you look, you listen. And most important, you look at yourself. And very interesting to note, Rosh Hashanah is the first day of Aseris Yemei Tshuva which means the ten days of repentance. So one would have thought that, wow, 
you would say on Rosh Hashanah the vidui, the confession that we say so many times on Yom Kippur. <coughs> you would think that you would mention chait, sin, on Rosh Hashanah and saying, God, please pardon our sins. None of that is there. And even the very first line of some delete. So what's going on here? So many, many say beautifully the following, that what's happening on Rosh Hashanah is we are establishing a foundation. We are establishing the perspective as to where we want to go for the next year. We're setting up the rules for ourselves. Let's understand something. This past year, the first time that we might have missed a shear, missed a class, that we might have spoken Lashonara, that we might have done something wrong. The first time was an ouch. We realized, oh my goodness, I did something wrong. But the second and the third time, it became easier. What we're doing on Rosh Hashanah is, wait a minute, we're starting anew. One of the primary reasons for blowing the shofar is that when they coronated a king, well, they blew shofar. Our blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, while well, we don't blow, ta-da, that, but that's just what we're doing. We are literally accepting Hashem as our king. Now, wait a minute. What is as our king? Hashem does not give us a smorgasbord. The Torah is not a choice of which of the 613 do you like, which of the, which of the 613 do you like. No. Hashem gives us laws. And we come to Rosh Hashanah with that purity of saying, Hashem, you are our king. Ovinu, our father, Malkeinu, our king. And therefore, we are willing, ready, willing, and able to accept your laws. And therefore, my commitment to all these mitzvot is being bolstered by Rosh Hashanah. And therefore, there's no mention of sin, but there's a mention of, this is where I want to go in the forthcoming year. During the rest of Aserus Yemei Tshuva, and during Slichos, we recite the Oshamnu, and that's what we were doing significantly on Yom HaKippurim. How much of the shofar do you have to hear? So, interestingly, from the Torah, you have to hear nine sounds, three teruah. From that, the rabbi said, wait a second, what is a teruah? A teruah, we know, is a cry. Is it a, what we would call a shivarim, which is a sigh? Ay, ay, ay. Or is it what we call the teruah a wail? Ay, 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 ay. Or is it a combination of both? Therefore, we blow all different possibilities. We blow first, Tekiah, Shivarim, Trua Tekiah, three of those for 12 notes. We blow second, three, Tekiah, Shivarim, Tekiah, three of those, which is 12 and 9 is 21. Then we blow nine more, Tekiah, Trua Tekiah. So we've covered all bases and we've blown three Teruah and we've sure got it. These are called Tekios de Miyushav, which is the 30 that we blow before the Shemona Esrei. Then we blow 30 more. The Svardim do it in the silent Shemona Esrei, or the, those who dive in Nusach Svard, and Ashkenazim do it in the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. The shofar is Tfilah. 
Let's understand this. You don't eat matzah in the Shemona Esrei. You don't shake a lulav in the Shemona Esrei. You do blow shofar in conjunction with the Shemona Esrei. And I'm going to tell you another reason why. The davening, the machzor, represents prayer in a formal sense. And we try to understand each and every word. But the shofar might very well be a prayer which comes from a depth of our heart, which we cannot express verbally with words. But the feeling is there. Hashem, I love you. The feeling is there. I want to be close to you. I want to follow your laws. I want, as we say in Zochreinu Lachayim, the first of those additions that we place in the Shemona Esrei, we say in that, L'ma'ancha Elokim Chayim, which means we say to Hashem, give us life, for your sake. That's the theme of Rosh Hashanah. Now, after we've blown the second 30, we blow, as a custom, to blow 40 more, 100 kolos. Why? To remember Sisra's mother. Why her? Different opinions. It could be the universalism of Rosh Hashanah. Not just the Jewish people, the entire world are being judged and remembered on this day. I just want to remind you of the beautiful minhag of going to Tashlech. Now, nothing wrong with saying good yom tov, but Tashlech should not be primarily a social experience. It's another one of those poel dimyon. It's another one of those things similar to the dipping of apple and honey, similar to all those foods that we may mention of Kings were coronated by the water. I'm coming to the water to coronate Hashem. And literally, I want to cast my sins. Don't throw the bread in the water to feed the fish because you're not allowed to feed the fish on Yom Tov. You don't feed those fish during the year. Hashem takes care of them. Don't feed the fish. Don't bring the bread to the Tashlech. But, now, if you can go to Tashlech, Wonderful. If you can't walk to Tashlich on Rosh Hashanah, then the custom is that you can drive during the week till Hoshana Rabbah for the recitation of Tashlich. There really is a lot more that we could and should say regarding this Yom Tov. I am restricted by time. I'm just going to tell you the Kriyas Torah of the first day is literally the confrontation of husband and wife as to what to do about Yishmael and God says Goresh, get rid of him get rid of Yishmael and the idea of creating a proper environment for a Jewish home the second day the Kriyasa Torah is that of the Akedah that we remember literally the binding of Yitzchak so called because Yitzchak said to his father bind me tighter lest I flinch which shows that there was no generation gap between father and son father is ready to literally sacrifice his son and the son is equally ready to be sacrificed once again so much more I take this opportunity however to wish Nachum his family and all those who are so helpful in helping him proliferate Jewish awareness, Jewish pride, Jewish identification, kulchem, the way we begin Parshas 
Nitzavim. And this is so important. It's so important for the children that they leave to school listening to Jewish music. It's so important to have an awareness as to what's going on. It's so important to have a sense of Jewish pride. And we wish Nachum continued success in all his endeavors. And he should continue in good health to proliferate the beauty of our Misorah for many years to come. Shabbat Shalom and Aksiva Vachasima Tova to all. J.M. in the A.M. I thank Rabbi Yudin. Happy, healthy, sweet New Year. Aksiva Tova to Rabbi Yudin and his entire family, Rabbi Goldwasser and his entire family, and to all those rabbinic leaders who are in some way, shape, or form associated with us and take pride in associating with us in these amazing efforts on a daily basis or on a regular basis, and it's much appreciated. 13 minutes before 9 o'clock Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim, candle lighting at 619, a happy, healthy, sweet new year to all of our listeners, to our incredible JM and the AM staff, all the wonderful people at the Nachum Siegel Network, to them and their families, to everybody that, as Rabbi Yudin mentioned, uh, surround me and our staff with... Uh, with tremendous help and uh, great efforts, it is so much appreciated. And we should all together in the coming year, which is going to be an amazing year, uh, Bezrat Hashem, have a happy, healthy, and sweet new year together and continue to go from strength to strength. I did promise before we wrap up this year that we'd speak to Michael Fragan for a minute or two and get his impressions on the election. He's, of course, the host of Spin Class, 9.30 Eastern Time, every uh, Thursday morning at the Nahum Siegel Network, and uh, very few people know politics the way he does, that's for sure. And he joins us live via telephone on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Michael Fragan, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nahum, and Ksimatova uh, to everyone. Appreciate that, Ksimatova. We should have a year of joy, and um, and uh, we wish you a good 5777 to you and the entire family. Um, so, people out there are curious. They're curious what you thought. They're curious uh, what you thought vis-a-vis the election in general and obviously vis-a-vis our community. What have you heard out there in terms of our community's reaction to the Hillary-Donald debate from this past Monday night? Well, I think there are two realities here. Uh, There's the reality that the conventional political world seems to see uh, with regard to this campaign. And then there is a reality that Trump supporters and the Trump camp seems to see. Uh, if you ask anybody affiliated with Trump and even his supporters, and I've had uh, text and email and uh, WhatsApp uh, debates with various people, listeners, followers of yours, uh, telling me that Trump certainly won the debate and uh, and the like, um, that's not what I saw, and it just doesn't seem to be. I, I think he was woefully unprepared. Had he prepared, he definitely he definitely could have won. He started off strong. And if Trump's message is, you've been around forever, Hillary, you haven't gotten anything done, the country's in bad shape, take a chance on me, there's a message there. But when he gets into everything else, the whole sideshow, the whole circus that seems to surround him, I mean, this morning he's up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., tweeting about the Miss Universe, uh, Miss Machado. Uh, it's like he's having another con moment. He just, you know, it's like going after the cons. And, uh, you know, I don't see it. Look, I think there are a lot of people who want change in this country. There are a lot of people, and there is a message that Trump has to as, as imperfect a messenger as he is. But I just don't see this being a effective campaign and an effective strategy you, you know, that he's prosecuting right now. You know, it's interesting you just mentioned that in terms of, you know, a, a con moment, so to speak. Um, he, his, his desire or his ability... 
to behave in unconventional fashion for a political campaign is such an attraction to so many people. But it seems that that is the element that ends up dooming him at some point. Because he doesn't let it go. You could do it. You could be sensationalist. You could be entertaining. You can go ahead and, and attract attention and win the news cycle over and over, which is what he does. People talk about him all the time, and that's what he wants. But he follows and he leads everybody and leads his campaign. He leads himself down these holes, and then he has to spend the next week digging himself out of it. He doesn't have enough time to stay even, you know, to not gain ground. He needs to gain ground. Yes, there's a surge. Yes, he had some momentum up until the debate. I think you'll see a lot of that momentum will have dissipated. But he's certainly behind. He's behind an electoral college sense. And the point here is to win. The point is not to come close. It's not to do well. It's to win. Um, The swing states, we keep reading about and hearing about it, certainly before the debate, there was a big deal was being made about how, you know, most of the key states are getting closer and closer uh, if he wins X uh, number of swing states, uh, he could win this election. Uh, are, are you believing that? Are you believing the polls in this regard, or you know, more of a foregone conclusion in favor of Hillary Clinton? No, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. I've said this over and over. I've said to you know, I've said it with you. I've said it on my own show. Trump can win this election, but I don't think he will win because I don't think he has a good campaign. I don't think he. I think he's a deeply flawed candidate, and as we've seen, he just can't seem to control himself. I mean, what he should be doing is hunkering down, preparing for the next debate. He should have prepared for the first one, but he didn't. As far as the swing states are concerned, he is still not going to win the Electoral College if the election were held today. He's still behind, if you believe the polls. And, um, you know, and Gary Johnson had a big uh, faltering moment again this week, which will probably hurt him. Gary Johnson has been helping Trump significantly. Right. Take Gary Johnson out of the Colorado equation. Right. Hillary is winning Colorado by quite a few points. Uh, right now she's down. So there are, you know, the path to victory for him is very, very narrow. And I think his advisors know that. They, they know that you need to be disciplined. You need to stay on message. But he's not. Michael Fragan, Spin Class is his program, 930 with us at the Nahum Single Network every single Thursday morning. Very interesting as we get closer and closer. I thought, frankly, it would be a drop more interesting. I found the debate rather boring, frankly. You know, you're looking for... Really? Yeah, you're looking... Wow, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I've got to be honest. May, I, maybe, I, maybe, I thought... maybe I had visions and high expectations for great entertainment. It just... Yes, great entertainment, but sad state for America. It just, but the entertainment aspect for me never materialized. It just didn't, I don't know, it didn't strike me as, as the must-see TV that I thought it would be. <laughs> well, the bottom line, Malcolm, last point for you is Hillary is a very boring candidate. And right. that's what people, you know, even if you're her supporter, right. people are not thrilled with her. She's just boring. Right. Michael, thank you. Shana Tovat to you and the family. You too, Malcolm. Thank you. Michael Fragan, always get a good uh, piece of... Uh, of a political um, analysis when he joins us here at uh, JMM, and I thank him for that. Uh, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim, candlelighting time at 619. 619, reminder, Montes will be hosting JM Sunday. this coming Sunday morning, beginning at 7 a.m. Uh, on our stream at jmtheam.org. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night kicks off our programming after Havdalah. Of Rummy's going to be hosting Saturday Night Seagull, and I thank him for that. Uh, and then uh, after um, uh, after Sunday, of course... We will continue with uh, uh, JM and the M on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning at uh, 6 a.m. That's when we will uh, reconvene on some Gedalia morning here at um, JM in the AM. Coming up next, it's Naomi Nachman. 
She'll feature David Page from Crafted Kosher and talk about his fabulous holiday gift basket, plus a cheese pairing with Bridget Mizrahi, owner of Natural and Kosher Cheese. Table for Two is coming up next. The video is already up at NachumSiegel.com. You can check it out. And Table for Two program with Naomi Nachman is coming up next uh, at jmnam.org and on the NSN app, so make sure to be tuned in. All day long, it's the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, which today, of course, will include some Erev Yom Tov music as well. Make sure to be tuned in, everybody, and thanks to our friends at Kedem. It is an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix, the best way to prepare for any Shabbos, and uh, we are highly recommending it. Time to say good Shabbos and wish everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. It's Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw
Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. Tomorrow night, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull to kick off our programming after Havdallah on jmnam.org and the NSN app. On a Sunday, Matis hosts JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time for an era of Rosh Hashanah. And, of course, Wednesday we are back after the holiday right here at JM in the AM. Have a wonderful Yom Tov, everybody, and, of course, a uh, upcoming uh, wonderful Shabbos. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.